Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. That music underscoring is from the one and only Sam Brandt. And we're presented, as always, by betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Use that promo code PODCAST1. Get the 50% sign-up bonus today, betonline.ag. And it's ironic and uh, symmetrical that we have BetOnline as a sponsor for this podcast especially. We're going to talk about gambling. We're going to talk about the big story coming out of the NFL where suspension, not just for 2019, but 2020 as well. Massive suspension of a player most of us have never heard of, Josh Shaw, on injured reserve with the Arizona Cardinals, for betting on football and betting on his own team, and as we'll hear, betting against his own team. We're in a new world of sports betting, as I've talked about many times, where legalization is happening state by state around the country, but NFL players can't bet. So the person respond, the person that's been doing a lot of reporting on this and is the voice that I go to, as I have before on this podcast, is David Purdom of ESPN. He's their gambling guru. He's their gambling writer. He's their gambling on-air personality. He's been covering this way before gambling was a thing, as they say. David is my guest on the Business of Sports podcast this week. First, another rant of the week, and I'll go to baseball, because what's happening there is very interesting to me. They're talking about contraction, and not contraction of any major league team, but contraction of multiple, I'm hearing 40, count them, 40 minor league teams. And I think what Major League Baseball is saying is these 40 teams are so low in terms of facilities, are so under, um, what's the word, under suboptimal, I guess, in terms of facilities, in terms of market size, in terms of land and real estate, and stadium capacity and stadium improve uh, amenities that they should be contracted. And I guess the feeling from Rob Manfred, the Major League Baseball commissioner, is that whatever money saved by closing down these 40 could be applied to other minor league franchises. In other words, saying they're just too many teams and we should take care of the ones that are in a better position to thrive and really shutting them down. So this story got some traction, but it really got some more traction because politics got involved. Presidential candidate, senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders, got involved. And he wanted a meeting with the Major League Baseball commissioner. And when a top presidential candidate asked for a meeting, he gets one. And then tweeted about it afterwards, talking about how he met with Rob Manford as someone who was heavily invested, at least from a fan point of view, in minor league baseball, where he's from in Burlington, Vermont. And I don't know, actually, whether that would be one of the contracted teams. But he made his case for minor league baseball, and we'll see what happens. But I just thought it was interesting that sports and politics mix. Politics asked for sports to mix, and sports mixed because the politics was a big name. I don't know if Rob Manford would have met with, say, a member of the House of Representatives representing a district that is losing a minor league baseball team. But these are all things to consider. And it really sort of goes to this idea of stick to sports or stick to politics or whatever it is. And my point is always that, hey, good luck with that. Sports and politics are often, not all the time, but often inextricably linked. Sports owners go to politicians daily to ask for breaks. And we know, 
how many facilities in this country are publicly financed while they're privately owned by the ownership. So it mixes all the time. It's usually local politics, not national. But this idea that sports and politics shouldn't mix, come on, wake up, get real, it does. And the same is true for sports and business, which basically sports is business with a storefront of games on the outside that really are, are shielding the business side inside. With sports and law, which of course I teach about every week, with sports and society, with sports and policy, with sports and sociology, with sports and social thought, it's all connected. So this idea that sports should be, you know, on this island where people just sort of tune in for games, no, it just doesn't happen that way. And hopefully I'm a voice that can guide you through a lot of this. That's what I've tried to be for the last eight years since I left the Packers. And hopefully we'll make that happen. So Baseball, contracting 40 minor league franchises, supposedly Bernie Sanders trying to stave that off as long as he can. Obviously, if he has some success in the presidential race, he'll have even more power to stave that off from the commissioner of baseball. thought it was an interesting note. That's my little opening rant of the week. Now it's time to get back to the story of the week. Josh Shaw suspended for a year and a half by the NFL. He will, he will appeal. Not clear whether the NFLPA is helping him in appeal, but a major case in this new landscape of sports betting that we have in this country. It's a massive change from the past. We talk about all things Josh Shaw, all things sports betting, and looking ahead to the future and where it's going with the NFL and all sports leagues with ESPN's sports betting guru extraordinaire. His name is David Purdom here on the Business of Sports podcast. As I said in the open, the issue really caught my attention this week, one that flew under the radar a little bit because I think, as we'll talk about, the NFL maybe tried to hide it with a news dump on a holiday weekend. But boy, this one really catches my eye because we have a player, the first player, certainly the first player in the new era of legalized sports betting, to be caught and found and punished for betting by the NFL I couldn't think of a better person to talk about it with than my friend David Purdom, ESPN's gambling writer who's been at the forefront of these issues for so long. For many years before we had legalized gambling, which came into effect with the Supreme Court decision in May of 2018, but even more so since, and all the permutations that have happened since then. So glad to have my friend back on the Business of Sports podcast, almost a regular guest now, David Purdom. Dave, welcome. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I always enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, kind of a wild story that uh, I think when sports betting started to expand across the nation, people, some people thought this was you know, inevitable, that there would be some sort of uh, gambling scandal, and this appears to be the first one. Um, I hesitate too much to call it a gambling scandal because as we get into the details here, I want to emphasize throughout that no one that I've spoken to, uh, the dozens of people on all sides of this, have you know accused any kind of nefarious activity here? This seems to be uh, for uh, this kind of thing about as innocent as it could be. Bad optics, uh, nothing nefarious. Yeah, well, let's get into the the details of it because I mentioned it briefly. Josh Shaw, and I'll get to him in a second. But again, for background purposes, I'm a lawyer. I teach sports law, and one of the things that always comes up is gambling. And the view towards gambling from sports leagues has always been complete taboo. 
against the integrity of the game that that just takes away from the heart of what the game is trying to protect, which is integrity, which is a game you can trust, devoid of gambling. We go back to Pete Rose in baseball, Alex Karras, Paul Horning in football, banned for just gambling, of course, but even association with casinos. And another quick background item, it was four years ago where Tony Romo and others were banned from a fantasy football convention just for being part of it near a casino or annexed to a casino. So you see these strong reactions the NFL had. But now we have a new age because the Supreme Court basically allowed four states to legalize gambling, as I mentioned, 18 months ago. And that has happened, I believe the count, and you can correct me, Dave, is about 10 states now, more on the way. And New Jersey is right behind Vegas and Nevada as uh, sort of the sports mecca right now. With all this background, I think the thing that has to be said, of course, is while it's legal in all these states, NFL law trumps state law. So NFL law is players can't gamble. With that backdrop, we come across this news the other day that Josh Shaw is suspended, not just for the rest of the 2019, but for the entire 2020 season for gambling. So, David, what exactly did he do when, and again, to, for people to know, Josh Shaw is, was, is on injured reserve, so not currently playing for the Cardinals. That's correct. Um, you know, the NFL released a statement that uh, he had been suspended through the 2021 year for betting on NFL games for mul- on multiple occasions, I should note. Um, now, as you mentioned, the rule of the NFL is if you are a player, you are a coach, an official, a trainer, anybody that is uh, an executive or an employee of the league, you cannot bet on the NFL. It's that simple. Now, the players themselves are allowed to bet on other professional sports. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, guys bet uh, on the NBA before, have big tickets, NFL athletes. Uh, but the NFL betting on it is taboo. So Josh Shaw was in Las Vegas the weekend of November 10th. Um, I believe that is week 10. Um, and he was at a casino that was the sports book was operated by Caesars. Um, he placed a three-team parlay bet on the results of three second halves of NFL games that week. Now, mm. the attention grabber, the highlight of that on that parlay included the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who were playing Shaw's Arizona Cardinals. Hmm. The bet did not win. Uh, Shaw is now currently out of a job as well. Now, I read your reporting that he had to fill out uh, something where he said he was a professional football player. Is that uncommon? I I'm not a better, but do people have to fill out information about themselves to make parlays, play parlays? Not necessarily specific to the parlay, but he signed up for a player's card. Um, okay. You know, a rewards point. He was a regular player, and somewhere in that process, uh, he did list his occupation as professional football player, which, you know, it, he was open about it. This is not something he was – trying to hide as soon as he was notified uh, by the league that they were looking into this. He flew to New York to meet uh, with the league executives in the office. And for what I'm told, it was completely transparent and just said it was a mistake, a misunderstanding, um, which is just kind of dumbfounding. <laughs> and how you, you kind of mentioned it there, but 
at Caesars, who uh, ironically is an NFL partner with the official casino of the NFL now, mm-hmm. and makes this parlay bet. How was it flagged to the NFL for them to start their investigation? And you're right. It's 10, November 10th is only two, three weeks ago from now. Yeah, I'm told within minutes that Caesars realized who he was and what he had done and immediately followed their protocol and called Nevada Gaming Control Board. There is a regulation in place that books are supposed to take, quote unquote, reasonable steps uh, when something like this happens to try to prevent paying the wager or accepting this wager. This time they had already accepted it, but immediately caught what had happened and and notified. From there, they subsequently uh, notified the NFL who began the investigation. So it went pretty quick, and for proponents of the regulatory uh, system surrounding legalized sports betting as we're getting here, they kind of point to this and say, hey, this is how it's supposed to work. If Shaw would have been betting with a local bookmaker or an offshore sports book, I wouldn't expect them to call the NFL or the authorities. Since he was betting with a regulated sports book uh, that has to comply to keep their license, uh, this was, you know, the transparency from the system uh, helped identify the issue and eventually stop it. Now, you mentioned uh, the kicker in all this, which, of course, is really sort of the highlight where he bet on football games, which, as you noted, is illegal or under the NFL rules and against mm-hmm. his team. Now, just a just a thought. Him doing that not with the team does that rub you the wrong way? I mean, do do we sort of uh, elaborate, exacerbate this and that maybe he's talking to players on the team or learning things about the team at halftime even? What are your thoughts when you hear that? You know, I've seen there was a poll on Twitter yesterday and somebody asked, which is worse? Someone away from the team on injured reserve betting against his team or somebody that was active in a game and bet on his team. Yeah. And I thought that was a kind of an interesting question. I don't get that far. This is a violation of the league policy, and no matter the nuanced details of it, it does not look good. you know. And that, for the general public, when uh, sports betting is trying to kind of shake this taboo that you mentioned earlier, the stigma away from it, it doesn't need that. And the fact is, I just go back. If you play for the NFL, if you coach in the NFL, you cannot bet on the NFL. That is just blatantly obvious to me and surprised that any NFL player could misunderstand that. Now I'm going to ask you something. Do you believe this is really an isolated instance? An isolated instance? Uh, no, I, you know, if you go back over time, I'm sure NFL players have probably bet on an NFL game. Uh, it doesn't mean that they tried to compromise that game, and I certainly do not have any reporting or sources uh, that are, have evidence of this. You see it thrown around on Twitter a lot. Oh, surely this isn't the first time. And right. sports betting has been around since the beginning of the NFL. You mentioned uh, Alex Karras and Paul Horning. Um, um, there has been, you know, examples of this in the past. I'm sure there are ones that have not been exposed. That said, I do think it's very, very, very rare, especially now with the publicity and attention sports betting is getting. Um, when you hear people throw it out on Twitter, I've, you know, I'll, I'll say, well, do you have any proof? 
well, no, but, you know, this guy at an offshore sports book uh, said this guy was betting or whatever. And you just never get that concrete evidence. So I do think it is very, very, very rare. I would not say completely isolated. And let's talk about the punishment, because, again, that struck me as I sort of in my intro, because, listen, we know what has dominated the headlines in the NFL over the years. Ray Rice first preliminarily only got two games for punching his fiancée. Then, of course, it became longer. Tom Brady for the footballs and and again, all the other domestic violence things, which were four or six games. This is two years, a year and a half. So how much of this is setting an example? How much of it is really this is how strongly they feel about gambling compared to domestic violence, compared to potentially deflating footballs, all these kind of things. Your reaction when you saw the length of suspension and the meaning behind it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to try to compare anything to the domestic abuse things. I don't know the NFL's thinking behind those. But when yeah. I first saw the, the uh, suspension, it, to be honest, it did not surprise me. Hmm. Um, and I don't think I necessarily uh, think it's overly harsh. Uh, again, uh, this is the first time we've had a major uh, a violation of a gambling policy for a major professional sport since that Supreme Court decision um, that uh, you know was so polarizing for a lot of people. And draw, you know, create so much fear that these kind of things are going to happen. So I, I, I really feel like the NFL had to react severely. Um, again, I go back to what I said at the beginning. I do not think this was any nefarious attempt. Um, it is bizarre that he would not understand that rule to me. I, I don't understand, you know, can't figure out how he, what his thinking was when placing that bet. But you simply can't do it. This is—it's uh, not only about it protecting the integrity of the game; it's protecting the perception, the public perception of the integrity of the game. And what Shaw did uh, damaged that, regardless. Right. The fact that he's a backup player, not even playing, probably a limited shelf life career-wise. You think that matters as to the the length and and the severity of the suspension? I guess the the in other words, word word a name player. You think the right. punishment would have been the same? I'm going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I would say it may have been even worse if it was a named player. Again, you know this. Everyone I've spoken to just keeps on kind of questioning, like, well, was this guy thinking? You know, this was just yeah, kind of an yeah. innocent mistake, but, geez, what is he thinking? So uh, I, I, whether that played into it a lot, um, I don't know. The NFL was very direct and very curt, very short with their answers when I spoke to them briefly. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to comment on the details. It didn't matter the details. This is a violation of the game policy. This is what Commissioner Grell is going to decide to do. Yeah, I mean, I guess I wonder – we're all speculating right now as to what went on in the head of Josh Shaw, but I wonder with what I all what I described and now it's commonplace knowledge about legalization of sports betting based on the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, you're thinking U.S. Supreme Court, Jesus, that's bigger than the NFL. I, you know, you just wonder if he's thinking like it's all cool now. 
and the other things, the messages that go on with the NFL putting a team in Vegas and investing in uh, fantasy sports. And, you know, again, just a thought there. You wonder if this kid's coming up and saying, sure, everyone's doing it because it's legal. I'm sure you saw the NFL Network report, uh, Ian Rappaport, uh, had something from a source that it sounded like was coming out of Shaw's camp that said he misunderstood the Supreme Court decision. Mm-hmm. And on face value, that just seems absurd to me. So he thought the Supreme <laughs> Court ruled that NFL players, it's okay for NFL players to bet on NFL games. I, I, that's absurd, right? I can't, I, I can't believe that. That was his thinking. Well, you have reported uh, you know, within a day or so from recording this that uh, he is appealing. Mm-hmm. So have we just identified uh, his appeal defense? Possibly. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, from what I was told, he was very transparent. He didn't try to uh, deny any of this. Um, he's going to plead ignorance, uh, maybe trying for a shorter um, penalty. Um, you know, I, I've, I've tried not to be flippant about this, but the, the, the just, uh, you know, a little color here. Uh, one of the funniest uh, Twitter reactions that I've gotten several times when mentioning this appeal is a GIF uh, video of Seinfeld of George Costanza when he uh, <laughs> there's an episode where he hooks up with the office maid. Right. It's caught right. and he goes into the office and says, was that wrong? Because I got to plead it. You know, and I've gotten that a bunch of times, so I thought it was kind of funny. But, you know, what's it, what's it hurt to appeal at this point? Uh, you can't really lose anything, right? It's already as bad as you can get do you know, I mean, I should know this, but do you even know if the appeal is being handled by the, the Players Association? Um, that's a tricky one. I know that it was confirmed to me that the appeal was filed yesterday before 5 o'clock's deadline. Um, in terms of who handled it directly, um, the agent has not made any public statements that I'm aware of, certainly not to me. Um, and the NFLPA has not made any public statements as well. Yeah. You know, in our, and I think in our remaining moments, Dave, let's pull back a little bit, a more of a 30,000-foot view. I sort of documented the history. So we're 18 months in to that historic day, and you and I were both at the uh, oral arguments. Mm-hmm. At that time, Chris Christie versus the NFL, or versus the NCAA, changed to Murphy. The governor changed. NFL and other leagues fought this for seven years and ended up losing. And now we have a state-by-state patchwork of legalized sports betting as opposed to what they would ultimately like, which is a universal law uh, federal. So, you know, you and I haven't talked in a while. So where, where do you put this sports betting and the reaction position stance uh, looking forward of the sports leagues? You know, we are exactly, uh, by my count, two years to the day that we're taping this podcast from those oral arguments that we were there. Oh, right, right, December, um, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I believe it was December 4th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a lot has changed. Um, there is a dozen states outside of Nevada that have had sports books, full-scale sports book, uh, begin operating since the decision. There are as many total 20 states, 20 with even another wave coming, um, of states that have passed legislation, and many others are looking at uh, that will 
uh, legalized sports betting in their states. Um, I think within the next two years, easy to say that more than half of the nation, probably closer to two thirds of the nation, uh, will have some form of sports betting. The leagues have rapidly uh, pushed away their uh, resistance to this, which was ardent and staunch. And uh, I don't think it's uh, too out of line to say over the top in some cases. Um, you know, there were commissioners that said if uh, sports betting was legalized outside of Nevada, it would kill the sports. Uh, it would be the end of them. That hasn't happened. And they've managed to find uh, business relationships with the sports betting industry. I think those will continue. Um, the biggest surprise for me to this point, uh, something I never thought was going to happen, was their efforts to put sports books on site in uh, stadiums, um, Capital One Arena uh, in mm-hmm. Washington uh, is the first one that's going to do that. Um, there are several other uh, facilities, including some in the Illinois, that are looking to do that. And it would not surprise me in the coming years if we see uh, the NFL look to do that as well. So are we, I mean, I've talked a lot, you know, about hypocrisy of the leagues and having at least, you know, I was 10 years at the Packers where the players stayed every Saturday night before a home game at the Oneida Nation Casino, how they have training camps at the Greenbrier with a casino. How, I, I mean, I guess the question is, can the NFL and all the sports leagues be bifurcated on this in other words accept even embrace sports betting but make it completely off limits to players i mean as a gambling expert do you see that as tenable yes and from uh, when i go back to it it does not matter even to me even if the bookmakers, be, or excuse me, if the leagues were to open their own sports books and become full-scale bookmakers that uh, take bets on their own games, um, even in that situation, it just cannot be uh, admissible for someone that can impact the game, influence the game, or has direct knowledge of non-public information about the game to bet on that game. People will point to Pete Rose and they'll say, "Well, he never bet against it." Well, he didn't bet on every game either. Right. Who's saying that he didn't manage his bullpen because uh, he knew he had an opportunity the following day? Um, it just there are two the optics are too bad. Again, I'm sure you've had to answer these questions over and over on social media. The league is fixed. The league is fixed. There's some big conspiracy, league-wide conspiracy to fix the games, and that's only going to grow um, unless we're able to somehow change that narrative and. I don't really know exactly how to do it. I think I kind of got off a little bit of tangent of your question there, but the answer is it's very challenging to do that. Um, But I think it can be done. Yeah. And you and I've talked a lot about, I know you interviewed me about this subject, which I've written about a lot at this CGO where I always advocate that leagues have chief marketing officers, chief executive officers, chief operating officers, chief intelligence officers, or information officers, I say CGO, chief gambling officer, gambling czars, uh, because these things, as you suggest, will come up more. Look at all the talk about officiating. And of course, as I referenced a couple times already, we have a team moving to the mecca of sports gambling in Vegas. So I guess I continue to advocate it 
although you have just documented that this Josh Shaw thing happened right away within seconds with the right people getting to the right people. So good on the NFL doing this without this person that I suggest them having. But I would think these things are going to get a more complicated, not less. Uh, I totally agree. And having someone, a consistent voice uh, who is knowledgeable on the issue and can handle the nuances of these issues, um, I think that would only increase the uh, optics of, of the integrity. Hey, we have dedicated full resources. We've hired an Andrew Brandt, somebody that's an authority on this, to be the czar of the NFL gambling issues. Um, the more they can do, the more effort that they show and more attention uh, to uh, the issue, I, I think can only help improve the optics uh, of the perception of the game. What are you working on, Dave? I mean, what is the next in this crazy world of sports betting that seems to have new permutations every day? What's, what's, what's in your looking glass going forward? Well, currently I'm writing a story about uh, advantage gamblers that go around dressing up as disguise, in disguises to place their bets because hmm. the casinos are uh, getting more and more uh, resistance to them. Um, but looking at the more sports league oriented, I'm, I'm really fascinated by um, the stories about uh, sports books being put into stadiums, actual stadiums. Yeah. Um, the Cubs were the first one that I caught wind. We're really looking into this. It sounds like. Uh, they will eventually, once Illinois gets everything passed, uh, there will be a sports book, a physical sports book on the premises of Wrigley Field. Um, I don't think there's many official announcements on that, um, but that's what's being said. Like we mentioned, Capital One Arena in the Washington Wizards, Capitals in Washington, D.C., has already begun building a physical sports book uh, inside the arena. So I think that's just really fascinating and kind of can give a people uh, a visual of what the future may look like in this uh, evolving landscape. And do you know the revenues on that? I mean, are the Capitals slash Wizards sharing that with the NBA, NHL? I know they're only paying rent is what of my understanding okay. that the fee to, uh, to operate the sports book, uh, Neither the Capitals, uh, Ted Leonsis, uh, who owns them, uh, will receive any direct revenue from the results of the sports betting operation. Uh, it's simply a rent uh, thing. So uh, how that's divided among the leagues on the way up, I'm not sure. And uh, I'd be remiss to ask about the integrity fees for people who don't know. These leagues have in the past requested from states passing these statutes to have integrity fees, basically saying it's their inventory. They should get a 1% of handle or half percent. Uh, just checking in on that, as I understand it, no state has been able, no league has been able to procure these integrity fees. Uh, but there's noise about New York maybe giving in. Any any updates on those? No, you, you summed it up. No state that has legalized sports betting or uh, at this point has given the league any kind of uh, percentage cut off the amount wagered on their games. You know, the NFL was never really came out and wanted that. They kind of stayed away from that. But the NBA, Major League Baseball, hockey, uh, they were all into that and are still continuing to lobby in some of the states for something along those things. Now, I would note that the NFL's partnership with Sport Radar, uh, who you're familiar with, uh, they're a yeah. data distributor, uh, the international powerhouse in the gambling world. Uh, the NFL has partnered with them, and they will begin uh, distributing their data uh, to 
U.S. bookmakers. And from my understanding, part of the contracts of how that works is the fee is based on the net win uh, on the in-game wagers um, that the, on the NFL. So that's kind of inside baseball tricky there. But what basically is happening, the more the sportsbook wins from the in-game wagers on the NFL, the fee will increase uh, for the Sport Radar Elite Partner. Wow. And I do go back to that comment on the day that it was legalized in uh, May of 2018. Maybe it was an off-the-cuff statement, but from an owner known to make those, Mark Cuban did say this just doubled our value so, of, the, of the franchises. So, yeah, I mean, you and I talk a lot about revenue opportunities, but I think it's, you know, the fan engagement is amazing. We've heard from research people about how betters watch games compared to non-betters, how much more they watch which would lead to bigger media contracts, bigger revenues, and as Cuban said, bigger franchise values. I don't know if it's going to double, but did that comment resonate with you? Uh, a little bit over the top. I'd take the under on doubling as well, um, <laughs> yeah. just because I'm one of the believers, and sometimes it's tough when you cover a beat um, to kind of get a true perception, get a look outside your bubble. But there was already a lot of sports fans who were betting on games before legalization or even playing fantasy, um, which, you know, definitely blurs that line a little bit. So how many more are going to start doing this and watching more TV longer, uh, watching TV longer now that sports betting is legalized? Um, you can debate that. Um, some people think it's going to be significant. There will be a whole new significant uh, class of new bettors um, that fall in love with sports because they bet on them. Um, I, I don't know how large uh, that group will be. Um, so to try to put some sort of value on it instantaneously uh, is it, tough. And um, I usually am on the more conservative side of any huge spike in television ratings or participation in betting uh, from legal okay. My last question is, do you think this um... – we seem to be moving towards kind of a European model where Europe, Europe has looked at America as prudish on sports wagering. Do you think this has become, for lack of a better word, mainstream? And we just accept now that sports betting is part of sports. I guess as I say this, I'm thinking, but again, we go back to the premise of this podcast, which is players can't bet. Uh, I guess I'll just sort of leave you a blank canvas as we finish here, sort of where the future is. I, I do think it's become mainstream. I, I think that I don't think I would have a job at ESPN if it was not mainstream. I remember when right. I first started uh, covering sports betting, it was around 2008. Um, and right then, anytime there was a sports betting headline on, you know, ESPN.com, it was a big thing. Oh my gosh, what's going on? It's <laughs> or uh, something nefarious. Um, now there are stories uh, on betting on NFL.com all the time, excuse me, on uh, ESPN.com almost daily. Um, I think that is a pretty good example of how this has reached the mainstream. Um, I, I think one of the interesting things to follow as we look ahead to the future 
is something like Foxbet. And for listeners who don't know, Foxbet is Fox Corp's sportsbook, uh, basically. Um, they purchased uh, Bet Stars, which was a big with the Pope Stars group, which was a good international gaming operator, and they launched a sportsbook that's got the name brand Fox, Foxbet. So how will that be implemented into coverage? How will that be implemented uh, into game coverage? I, I think that's kind of the next wave that we'll see. Um, I hope it's not overbearing. We both went through the Daily Fantasy barrage of ads. So we yeah. to see that again. Um, but I think that's something to watch. How, how is it going to continue to be integrated into the media coverage of sports? David, it's been great as we sort of start with our first quote-unquote scandal in the player sports betting landscape following the uh, legalization era. And uh, it's going to be a lot more to come from. Thanks for your reporting on that. And really thanks for hopping on and talking about it and talking about sports betting in general as, we, uh, as we're in this new era in sports. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for having me on, Andrew. I always enjoy visiting with you. Hope you enjoyed listening to my friend David Purdom. Thought that was a fascinating look inside sports betting with this with this suspension of Josh Shaw and what's next for him, for the NFL as they move to Vegas, and so much more as we get into sports betting. Speaking of which, <laughs> a word from Bet Online. You know what's going on? It's December, so everything's going on. NFL games mean much more. There's still great college action going on. So visit our good friends. Exclusive partner podcast one bet online. Take advantage of these best bonuses. You know what to do. Enter podcast one. That's your promo code for a fifty percent sign up bonus today. Oh, what do we got in the NFL this weekend? We got them all. We got San Fran, New Orleans. That's a good one. KC, New England, Seattle Rams, and Baltimore Buffalo. All these are great bets. Visit betonline.ag and don't forget the promo code podcast one. Your online sports book experts it's time to hear from you if you've got a question for andrew leave him a voicemail at 484-416-5654 this week's caller is from san diego let's hear what he has to say hey andrew you've often told us that if you don't have a seat at the table it means you're on the menu and with regards to the new cba what i'm wondering is do you think that the fans could ever organize pull together a, a fan's union and really give the NFL and the players the voice of the fan? Let them hear their opinions on expansion of the playoffs, more games, increase of roster sizes, heck, even beer prices. If you think we could have some success doing that, we're looking for a head of the new NFL FU, and it has low pay and high visibility. It's the only side of the business you haven't done in your spectacular career. Andrew, thanks for everything. Have a great day. That's a great question. I guess I just got offered a job <laughs> to run the NFL FU. And I don't think they mean FU in the way you're thinking they mean FU. It's NFL Fans Union. Yeah, listen, <laughs> I really appreciate the offer. I just don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um you know, collective bargaining agreements are the Magna Cartas of these sports, and they're negotiated by two parties. The labor side, which is players, and the, and the management side, which is owners. And that's true for all the major sports and minor sports as well with these CBAs. The problem is the fans don't have a seat at the table, and they never will. I know we talk about everyone wants to do this for the fans, and 
you know, everyone wins a championship. They thank the fans. Fans go crazy, but that's about it. You know, they don't have a voice. I'm not sure how they ever will. Um, but the, here's the bottom line is they don't, you know, even like in the NFL, I've talked about this many times when the NFL players and the owners decide, yeah, we're going to give you the off season off basically, you know, what used to be 10 week or 13 week programs. Now about an eight week program, you don't have to be the off season. You're mandatory three months. Can't even talk football when you see a coach in the store. And that sounds great. Players wanted it. Owners are like, yeah, we can get the deal we want. We'll do that. Coaches are like, man, this stinks. Can't coach them up. We can't get our players in here to go over plays. We can't get our players in here to go over sets. Okay. But here's the thing. They didn't have a seat at the table. And fans really don't either. You know, even when their labor stoppages and one side says, yeah, they're doing this and you're taking away the fans. The other side could say the same thing. They won't come to a deal that's hurting the fans. So I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not going to take that job because I don't think they will have a seat at the table and sorry to be so brusque about it. But man, thanks for the offer. And you're right. That's one thing I have not. <laughs> and maybe we'll never be part of my career running an NFL FU. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports podcast. Thanks to my son, Sam, for the interstitial music. Thanks to Brian Neal, my producer extraordinaire. Thanks for all of you. Follow me on Twitter and leave podcast comments and rankings on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate those. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.